We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 198. Rise and shine, Scott. Good morning. Good morning. We're doing early morning episode of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. We've got a lot to talk about. A lot of a uh, lot of storylines happening within Yankee Land. Nothing substantial of like definitive news, but lots of stories that are starting to escalate. And I feel like I feel like slowly we're, we're getting to a place where we're going to have some answers. Well, we're on the slow climb to the winter meetings, which is when a lot of stuff seems to happen. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of these guys want to uh, make sure that their their load is a little bit lighter going into the Thanksgiving holiday, and uh, and then between that and the winter meetings, we'll we'll have some answers. But um, but yeah, lots of lots of still th- things churning still going on. You know, I'm sitting on my couch in my living room recording this podcast because it's eight o'clock in the morning. My girlfriend is sleeping, and this is reminding me of those late night podcasts we did after all those Yankee playoff games. Well, when we're all alone, just staring into a microphone, staring yeah. with our thoughts, talking to uh, talking about Yankees baseball in obscure times. The uh, the level of excitement and the inten- know, intensity, if you want to call it intensity or whatever it was, just the the sheer jubilation of that playoff run. It's just it's bringing back good and ex- as well as exhausting memories. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully next year we can be as exhausted, but a little bit more excited. <laughs> One more game excited to get us to the, the promised land. So as you said, there's a ton of news, a ton of rumors, um, and that's sort of what the offseason is. 
for baseball, it's just the, the rumors that slowly change and slowly build over the course of each week as we lead up to these podcasts. Um, we, we try and do our best to not only cover all that stuff, talk about all that stuff, but also understand that like 90% of this shit is probably not going to happen. I think one of the things in the in the offseason, if you're a, a baseball fan and you're seeing all the rumors flying, is one, one with our website, like we, we report, if we see something about the Yankees, we'll put it out there. If someone put, if someone with a, uh, you know, a credible, if it's a newspaper or a beat guy, if anybody's saying something about this, we'll talk about it as well because it's, it's out there in, in the interwebs. But what I think you can do as a baseball fan too, is taking all of this information and kind of reading the trends a little bit. So you can see like, maybe the, maybe the guys that they're talking about in a trade rumor aren't the same, but there's smoke surrounding certain guys or there's there seems to be movement in a certain direction. Like, I think those are the things that you can actually assimilate between all of these rumors. Um, mm-hmm. There's usually something happening when a guy is consistently coming up. And it's also fun to play the role of Brian Cashman in these situations. And that's sort of the way I look at it is what would I do in this situation? Would I trade for this guy? Would I sign this guy? That's the way I kind of look at it. Yeah, it's fantasy baseball in the offseason right now for, for all mm-hmm. of us fans exactly. looking at what's going on. There's, 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 uh, it's, it is fun to put yourself in the, in the room with all of these, these different meetings because you don't know what the outcome is yet. And, uh, and I, I think all of us believe that we have a very good head on our shoulders, right? And we would do a hell of a job if we were in those meetings. So it's good to see I mean, how, it would, uh, how it would come out. Hell, I think I could do the job of Yankees manager, at least as well as Aaron Boone could. I 100% think I could do the job. <laughs> Absolutely. There would, be, there would be constant foot races. I would be a superior player's manager. If I was the manager, would you, would you criticize me on the podcast? But, oh, huge. Absolutely. I would <laughs> even though we see eye to eye on a lot of different things. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Bullpen management and B whips and all that kind of stuff. I feel like I'd have to. I feel like I'd have yeah. to. You you would lose your integrity if you didn't. Absolutely. I think you would get it's like your child. You know, you gotta be it's a um it's a it's a tough love. Mm-hmm. I would like to see what our before and after pictures would look like, sort of um <laughs> like the way Girardi looked from oh eight to two thousand seventeen, looked like he aged fifty years in a matter of ten years. I'd like to see what I would look like from two thousand seventeen to two thousand twenty seven. Yeah, I actually went and was looking for these because I, I put up an article uh last week about uh, just more about some of the manager stuff and I did a split shot of Girardi at his press conference when he got signed. Yeah, and, I saw that. And then yeah. and then the one I I, I will admit that I looked for uh, as weathered of a picture yeah, as I you, could find. Yeah, yeah. You kind of, you kind of, yeah, I had uh, to sell it. Girardi dirty there. Yeah, I had to sell it a little bit. I mean, they got, look, the yeah. guy was, yeah, very gray towards the end. And, and, you know, maybe I turned up the, uh, the HDR a little bit on the picture so you could see more <laughs> of the cracks and crevices in his face. I mean, I may have done that. I don't know. But, but yeah, there was a definite difference between the guys. There's also 10 years difference in real life. So that tends to, uh, to weather a guy when they're sitting outside. Uh, it does. Ten years, 10 years does. It's sort of like the pictures, the before and after pictures of uh, presidents, right? Like the Obama picture went viral, I believe, between he looked like he was a young man in his late 30s, early 40s when he started office. And now he looks like he's in his 60s just from the stress of the job. Um, and I think that's the same thing for Girardi, um, not to equate the two positions. But as far as stress level goes... I think they might be kind of similar. Yeah, you know, running the New York Yankees, running the the, the free world, it's they're uh, they're both high stress jobs. I think that's the bottom line. And it's kind of and it's also though, a pivotal because, time when you get gray. Yeah, but Girardi wanted to come back, so the stress wasn't killing him. At least he still wanted to do the job. 
No, he had his uh, he had his regimen. He was dealing with it. He he didn't really care if his face got leathered out. That was um, he was still going to have the same thing for breakfast every day. Um, before we get into sort of the news and rumors, like we said, let's talk about what everyone's pissed off about this week. And that's the fact that Aaron judge did not win the MVP. He did win the, the rookie of the year unanimously, which was no surprise, but he, uh, lost the MVP to Jose Altuve, who kind of won in a landslide 27 of the 31st place votes, which I guess if you want to be surprised about something, maybe be surprised at, at the landslide victory, but I don't think you can be upset or surprised that Altuve actually won. I think some people are, but um, if I'm... Of look- course people are, but I think getting mad over MVP voting is like getting mad over the weather. Like, you really, like get, some, get mad over something else. Don't be the screaming guy from the lawn. The, the, thing, about, the thing about it is that when the, the news came out that Altuve won, it was the discrepancy. That was the thing, like you said. It was mm-hmm. the two first place votes that, that got people riled up. And um, you said that the... Uh, you said that it was... It was not a surprise that Judge won Rookie of the Year. I totally agree. What I thought was potentially was a small surprise was that it was unanimous because anything unanimous when baseball writers are involved is is a is like a, a small victory. Um, That's true. When Ken it, Griffey when Jr. can't even get unanimous yeah. votes to the Hall of Fame. Well, when it's so. actually when it actually makes sense because half the time half the time it makes so much sense that it should be unanimous and then it's not. And you're like, what? What are you doing? And so this one, at least they all saw that this was the unanimous one. There, there was no ass in the um, in the bunch that, that could have done it. But there was that ass, a couple of them in the MVP voting, like the guy who voted for Jose Ramirez for the fir- for first place. Um, but yeah, Judge only getting two first place votes just leads me to believe that there was there was some kind of uh, uh, every single one of these guys saw that that 50 game slump as a deal breaker. I think every single one of them. And I think there had to have been conversations behind the scenes about that as well. Well, when you look at what the what happened in the National League with Cody Bellinger, he received 30 uh, first place votes. So that is also unanimous. So two unanimous um, first, two for unanimous rookies of, rookie the year. of the years. Yeah, for and, and as the they year. should have. I mean, it was pretty damn clear who were the rookies of the year, who the rookie of the year was in each league. Um, it's just the, the MVP voting when you're looking at the way that the, the votes broke down. I, I have no problem with Altuve winning it, MVP. To me, it could have been, it was a toss-up. It could have been either one. I think both guys deserved it. Uh, I heard mentions about a co-MVP potentially. I mean, that would have to be... Yeah, that's so stupid. It would have to be like the exact thing. I think it, the last time it happened was in the early 70s. But the... Um, the it would have to align. I mean, literally... It would Do have you to even to want to win co-MVP? I wouldn't want to win co-MVP. The, the bottom line about being a co-MVP as a... As a, <laughs> as a, as a, as a a, a talking point within this whole thing is it was that close. It really was that close. Um, th- what I think happened is people did not look at the numbers at the end of the year, but they looked at the the players and the trends and what happened throughout the year and how they stay consistent. I think the consistency was a deal yep. breaker for a lot of these uh, voters. It was because then if you look, if you just look at, if you dropped somebody in, um, at the last day of the season and yep. said vote on the MVP and all they had to look at was stats, I think Judge would have won because he led in on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, WRC+, plus, OPS+, plus, home runs, extra base hits, walks, RBIs, runs, and he actually edged out Altuve in defensive metrics. Altuve led in batting average hits and stolen bases. So I think if you were just voting on a baseball reference page, Judge would have won. But like you just said, Judge slumped 
terribly for July and August. And I think that's what stuck in the minds of all these writers. It absolutely did. When you, the one number on there that, that really has me, uh, that, I, that I put a lot of weight on is the, um, not a lot of weight, but it's, a, it's an interesting number, is the runs. Like You look at those two players, you're like, okay, Altuve definitely scored more runs, right? 100%, that guy's going to score more runs. When you see how many runs Judge scored, along with, um, I think one of the things that wasn't considered as, as, as heavy was uh, the strikeouts were definitely in there because it's a negative, so they put that in there. But the walks, I mean, the guy's on-base percentage, even when he was slumping, was still very high. So I think that that didn't get enough credit when in the eye of the voter, and they just saw this slump that made all these headlines and news, and they're like, well, an MVP can't slump through that. And if you actually look, one of the, one of the, the things that kept was thrown back out there was the Yankees' record during his slump, and it was actually a winning record. So they're like, oh, how valuable was he if the Yankees had a winning record during his slump? It's just like, again, another part of this goes back to what does MVP mean? What, mm-hmm. what does the word value mean when we're talking about the most valuable player award? Because to me, it's still very gray and there's no clear interpretation. When you're looking at the Yankees roster, though, didn't um, uh, Sanchez and, and Didi also receive MVP votes? Yes, they did. Right. So if you're if you're a baseball writer and you're saying you're looking down the 25 man roster of the Yankees, you're saying, yes, Judge was the most valuable player on this team, but he also had two other guys on the team who were fantastic as well. So he wasn't doing it all by himself. It wasn't an A-Rod in whatever it was, 2002 situation where if it weren't for him, the Rangers would have won zero games. So he hit 50 home runs and 150 RBIs or whatever it was. So there were other guys that that were on Judge's team helping him out. Well, I mean, you could say the same thing about Altuve, though. I mean, Altuve had a, a ton of talent around him, and George Springer had a hell of a year. You look Did, at Correa. Uh, had, I don't know. Correa had a hell of a year. I don't know if they got votes, but I don't know either. Because um, there was probably collusion. You know, hey, don't vote for any other Astros players so that we can make sure that uh, Altuve wins. And it's very Here's clear. thing, though. I think the fact that Altuve is five foot five or whatever the hell he is. Baseball writers like that. Oh, They're yeah. like, duh, this is cute. I want to vote for him just like they voted for Dustin Pedroia back in 2008. Mm-hmm. They like to be able to look eye to eye to a guy. I mean, let's face it. All these baseball writers, are a lot of them are tiny as well. Ken Rosenthal, like he's kind of the, 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 the baseball everyday writer man. type. Yeah, he's the everyday man. Him and Tim Kirchin, they're both like five foot five. They like to be able to look eye to eye with Altuve. They walk in, you get Goliath, Aaron Judge in there. Looks like a superhero. They can't relate to this guy. They're not going to vote for him. Yeah, let's just give him the rookie of the year and let's give the underdog Altuve the MVP. Well, I think a lot of that happened too. Well, I think you said underdog. That's the key word. I think a lot of these guys, one, are, are uh, they're not... They're not uh, uh, most of them are not accomplished athletes, right? So they go back and they look at their, they see a guy who's 5'5", five, five, who, who shouldn't have made it out of high school ball or college ball or whatever that level. And and then you're looking at, at a potential MVP candidate at that size. You're like, oh, okay, this guy's a hard worker. It's just, when you look at it, you're like, oh, work ethic, um, perseverance. If you just look at the the height and, and what he's had to gone through and overcome to get to this point. And I agree. I mean, like there's a lot more of a stumbling block. But if you look at Aaron Judge, the things that he's had to overcome, um, you know, God-given talent, God-given size. Uh, but he's got so many things working against him because of his size in baseball. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I was uh, just going to say that. Yeah, I mean, that and Altuve has it the other way because the strike zone is yep. tiny. Yep. Well, they're each of them, a short player, the, uh, a player the size of Altuve and the player the size of Judge are both rare. They're at both sides. They're at opposite sides of the spectrum. Right. Most players are in the middle. They're at the bottom of the bell curves. So they're each 
overcoming things. You don't think that Aaron Judge has to overcome things because of his size and his God-given strength. But that actually makes playing baseball, a skill game, that much harder. No, I totally agree. Uh, but I, if This isn't an NFL situation where you're looking at Rob Gronkowski versus Danny Woodhead. Right. It's not just like overpowering size is going to just get you to, yeah. to the top level. You need to actually work at it and judge. I'm not saying Altuve didn't have to work at it, but, but judge had to overcome, I think, more obstacles as far as crafting a swing that can work at it in a 6-7 body. Well, I, I mean, I think a judge had... Judge walked into the room and was was the best guy out there, according to many coaches and scouts. And Altuve had to work his ass off to even be recognized. So that's well, that's the thing. narrative. That's how the narrative yeah. is going to go for, for a player of that size. Oh, no doubt about it. And and I think honestly, deservedly so, because there I think there is a a much larger, not to be ironic, but a lar- a much larger barrier when you're that small. To, mm-hmm. to reach the the levels that Altuve has. And honestly, you, like, if you listen to this guy and like see what his career and just look at the whole picture, he's such a likable guy too. And, sure. you know, the um, the way that... I, but I think both guys are extremely likable. I think when you're talking about likability, they're they're both on the very high the scale of, um, of Major League Baseball players. But it's hard to get mad when you look at who won and then you look at the numbers and the fact that I know it doesn't have any consideration because it was a regular season award and voted on beforehand. But the fact that he did perform in the postseason makes you like, okay, all right. It just makes you feel a little bit better about it too, I think. Definitely. And I think um, uh, MLB has, I think they're really going to play up the Judge Altuve quote rivalry i'm putting it in quotes because i don't think there is actually a rivalry next season the the david versus goliath sort of sort of angle they kind of played it up in the postseason but now that they were the two finalists for the mvp i think they're really going to go at that in 2018 um and i mean judge put out that classy instagram post and tweet after congratulating altuve sort of like i'll get you next year kind of thing but i I can see mlb really shoving that down our throats in 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 2018 oh absolutely not to mention the two teams are going to be you know it's going to be a dog fight because these are two of the you're looking at 2018 projections these are two of the the teams that are yeah that are you know Definitely have the best odds to get to the World it's Series. It's also cool that they were the ALCS teams. The fact that the MVP finalists were both on the in the ALCS. Did you watch the voting uh, the, or the announcement live on uh, MLB no, Network? No, I was out, I was out to dinner. So I watched it on MLB Network and I caught something that I thought was interesting. And and uh, I mean he'll never admit it, but when they were when they were talking to the the three candidates, so it was um, Jose Ramirez, Altuve, and Judge. Uh, Ramirez had a translator and they only talked to him for a, a bit. And then the, the majority of the conversation was between Al- with Altuve and judge. Anyway, so they, they brought up, um, who's the, uh, who's the third guy in there? I can't think of his name, not Vaskirgin. Anyway, whatever. He's one of the, one of the writers, the, um, he mentioned to judge when they were interviewing him, he's like, Oh, how do you feel when, after you came back and just so you, if, if anybody didn't know, you did play in 2016 and you struck out 50% of the time. And he said this, and Judge, you can see the look on his face. He was like, mother, you know, like you could see that he was like biting. I'm gonna break your neck when just I just started you grinding next. on his teeth a little bit, and then put on that that Aaron Judge smile that he ha- he knows how to put on because he was trained in a lab. Good. But yeah, he you could tell that he was getting mad about it. Like, why are you Good. bringing that up right now when I'm literally in the MVP votes for this year, not last year? Like, and I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to make that that. Uh, the point that he made the adjustment. How'd you, over, how'd you make yeah. the adjustments? And that it was an impressive. But the way that it came out was like, eh, like it was almost a slight at, at Judge at that point. And well, it you was, know what? Good. Yeah. 
So, uh, but let Judge him use that as a chip on his shoulder. Let him use that as a chip on his shoulder. Yeah. He after he won the Rookie of the Year, I listened to his um, post uh, award interview, and they were talking to him similar situation like you just said, and they said, you know, you were fighting for a job with Aaron Hicks in spring training, mm-hmm. and now you're the unanimous Rookie of the Year. How does that? What are your thoughts on that? And Judge said. Well, my mindset is every day I just need to fight for a job. Next spring training, I'm just going to go in there and fight for a job. And in the back of my mind, I was like, does he really believe that he has to fight for a job next year? No. Jeter used to say that too. Jeter used to say something very similar Because yeah, that. that's what they teach you in Yankees captain's yes, camp. That's exactly right. That's exactly it. It's the Yankee narrative. <laughs> you need to fight. You need to work hard, play for your job every day. And I love it. It's a yeah. good attitude to have. It's a good attitude to have. But at the same time, I I. Just it's a little disingenuous because you can be humble, and I prefer a player to be humble. Um, I also don't mind if a player is is braggadocious, like we have said all the time. That if Clint Frazier, you might look at him as cocky or just confidence. Either way, it plays, and just like Aaron Judge's humbleness plays. But fighting for a job, like come on, dude, you just almost won the MVP. You hit fifty two home runs. You're not fighting for shit next year. I mean, he might still have got to still got to work hard, but yeah, you're not. If he goes over in spring training, he's still starting right fielder on day one. That is true, but you know, in the back of his mind, the fact that he could lose a job if there's a major sophomore slump, if if that fifty game skid were to you know translate into a longer skid, then yeah, he's fighting mm-hmm. for a job because. Yeah, it, it could all disappear very quickly for a big guy like that, honestly. Totally. If he has a 50-game skid like he did in July and August of this year, in April and May of next year, yeah, you're right. He will lose his starting job. Right, and that will be a horrible storyline. Uh, so let's hope that doesn't happen. But no, the um, the fact that he made those... Uh, those adjustments and that they were brought up, I thought it was interesting. You know, they're trying to, it's a, you know, they're trying to like play the rags to riches story. It just, it didn't work. Yeah. Well, speaking of fighting for jobs in spring training, Cashman spoke at the GM meetings this week and said that Gliber Torres will have a chance to compete for the third base job in spring training, uh, which I, I, this is the one thing I love about Brian Cashman is he says stuff like this <laughs> where most GMs would not say that. They would they would sort of downplay Gliber Torres and who's the number one prospect in baseball right now. They would just say, yeah, we're going to look at all things. We're going to evaluate going into spring training. We're happy with where Torres is recovering from his surgery, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, the next the next comment after this, the next time someone brings this up is going gonna, is gonna to be, and I'll quote, because I already know what's going to say, what he's going to say. He's going to dictate when he's ready to come to the major leagues. When he's he put it up, put the onus on the player. He is going to tell us when he is ready. He's going to have to knock down that door to come up yeah. and, and play third base. That's exactly what he's going to say. But they're going to give him the opportunity. They will give him the opportunity, but he, the player will dictate when the player is ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly what's going to happen. If Gleyber Torres comes out like a ball of fire in spring training and, uh, and produces extremely well, one, we might be wary because everybody else who has succeeded extremely well in spring training, not so good when they came to the regular season. So... I don't know how you Clyber feel about Torres, that. Torres, MVP <laughs> of spring training 2018. I don't know Ooh. how you feel about. Yeah, I don't know how we feel about that yet, but um, but he's definitely going to be someone they're circling uh, to to go into that third base because I think that's where they want him. I think they want him at third base. Uh, I, again, Headley. This this just this is um, one of those big things that says Headley is now the flex guy. He's the he is mm-hmm. another one of the. We got two utility guys. You got Ronald Torres sure. and you got Chase Headley. Well, Chase Headley provides you what he did last year at first base gives you insurance for Greg Bird at first base, which I think is what is giving them confidence in saying 
if if Gliber Torres wins the third base job, we'll give it to him, and then Chase Headley can get still plenty of playing time at third, first, and DH. Right. I think that totally eliminates Todd Frazier from any uh, uh, re-signing contention because then you just have too many guys on in the infield roster. Well, I mean that would that would basically put together. Uh it would it would really be hard to sign any DH at that point if you're looking at if that's the plan if that's a plan but the thing is the thing with that plan is it's it's a little it's it's a little too forward thinking because then you're you're one assuming 100% that that Gleyber Torres comes and plays very well in spring training and comes up and fights um, otherwise you're walking into the season with Chase Headley as your starting third baseman and they're I think they're fine with that he's got well, one then, more year on his contract and then question marks around the DH spot so I, I think they well, still have to solidify that DH spot or else <laughs> you're going to get into a situation where your backup DH is 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 a, a Chris Carter type player and I don't think the Yankees are going to be doing that I think they would eat some money just to bring back a guy on a one-year contract and if he didn't work out um, but at least they have you know some someone there to take at bats See, I disagree because Shohei Otani is looming, and we'll talk about him. Well, in a I second. think that changes things as well. Yes, that changes things, but also they because they have a lot of outfielders as well that they could rotate in. They they would rotate outfielders into the DH spot as well as Gary Sanchez into the DH spot. So you think the Yankees would go into the season without a designated hitter? Uh, yeah, without a Matt Holiday type designated hitter. Yes. Yeah. I think that without a full time DH, they're not going to sign another full time DH. I think it really bit them in the ass this year, and I don't think Cashman's going to do that to the roster again. No, I think that they're going to have some kind of a utility guy that can hit though. Some someone that someone that is a low low money one year deal that that could that could potentially slot in there and I mean, like a Billy that's, Butler that's, type. Just, that's very nice to say. Yeah. But those guys are not falling off trees. They're, I mean, you could find them. You could you could go and find them. They're they're there. Like, give me you can, oh. you, you can go sign like a Shelly Duncan. You know what I mean? Like, and go hit a couple home runs. But what my point is, is I don't think they're going to be put in a position where they're not ready for something like that. I, I think they're going to bring guys in to compete for a DH spot, whether they sign them or not, is another story. But I think there's, Fine. there's low money. You're talking low money. You're talking like three, four million type yeah, deal because I, they're not going to sign another holiday type. Oh, 12, hell no. That's million. not what I'm talking about. It's going to be under a $10 million deal. I'm thinking like four to 8 million max. That's, I, that's the type I, of guy I, that they would bring in. Yeah. I just think that the guy is going to need to be able to play the field. Yeah. There's just, there's a lot of different, there's, the thing is there's a lot of flexibility with the way that the, the roster is lining up for the field right now. If, Glaber Torres were to come out and take that job because then you have two guys who could play all over the place. And if if Torres does take that job, it it provides you, like you said, really nice roster flexibility with Headley as the swing man and then as Torres still as you as your utility guy. Yeah, I agree. I just I'm wondering how Aaron Boone would use them though. That's the only thing. <laughs> Well, Aaron Boone was a third baseman, so he could really mentor Gleyber Torres. Oh, yeah, beautifully. I mean, that's that's a match made in heaven. Step one: don't play basketball in the off season. Step two: hit a home run that sends your team to the World Series, and then you're qualified to to be the manager of the New York Yankees. Was it a basketball injury? Uh, yeah, they got it was him. a basketball. Yeah. yeah, he blew out his ACL playing basketball. I was and thinking that led it to was the whole a rod stuff. I was thinking it was a uh, flag football uh, on the beach. Nope, no, like a Top Gun situation playing volleyball on the beach. No, it was it was a pickup basketball, um, and that was in his contract. Can't play because he was he loved basketball, I guess. And in his contract, don't play pickup basketball. Oh uh, shit, I injured myself playing pickup basketball. Thanks a lot, Aaron Boone. <laughs> That's okay. He, he did what he was. He did his job. Um, 
Chad Green will also come to spring training as a starting pitcher. And obviously the fallback plan is just using him as a reliever. Yep. Cashman spoke about this as well. You and I have discussed uh, the last couple of weeks Chad Green might be a starter. I really like this because the upside of Green as a starter is so much higher than what it is than what we know he is as a reliever. And he's fantastic as a reliever. But if you have you can turn him into a starting pitcher, you have him who he, Green Young starting pitcher. Obviously, Severino Young, Sonny Gray Young, Montgomery Young starting pitching. I mean, that's just that's giving me a pants tent right now. <laughs> um, the visual on that was was way too much. The <laughs> laptops on my lap too. So Jesus, the J- Chad Green is is a player that is very interesting to me because of the what he did last year. And from all accounts, when you when you read just guys in the minor leagues, coaches and, and different scouts that were talking about the way he progressed was it was like he found himself as a pitcher this past year. It wasn't so much that it wasn't so much that it was uh, I mean it was a great position for him to be in the the relief spot and he found himself in that particular position, but he was he was um executing on his pitches better. He was his mindset was better. Just, it's like he he matured as a baseball player. So I think a lot of people are drawing comparisons obviously it's the it's the very obvious thing to do is say, okay, Phil Hughes, Jabba Chamberlain, these guys came up and down. Uh, they were a starter. They were a reliever. Don't do this to him. Don't be that guy. And I will say this. I will say that one, I think Jabba Chamberlain was too immature to handle that. That's one thing. I think that he just wasn't ready for that type of situation. I think Phil Hughes got exposed <laughs> as not being that good. Um, Chad Green, I think if you're a, a, a guy who seems like Chad Green seems to me very level-headed, very quiet, just kind of humble, puts his head down, doesn't really let too many things bother him. I don't know. His personality feels like you could kind of mess with him a little bit in this in this regard and see where he fits in, and then he would just be fine in any position. Um, I, I don't think it's a big concern to to go back and forth with uh, with a player like that because the potential for him to be in the starting rotation like you said is just too great for me to to not try i mean i gotta see because he came up as a starter this he's a starting pitcher. he competed for a starting pitcher last spring training so this was a guy that was thrown into the reliever duty because he really just wasn't there so he could go back he knows what it's like yeah i I think if he did take that next step as a mature uh, major league baseball player as a pitcher then i think you know maybe that could translate into him executing better as a uh, starting pitcher he would have to develop another pitch though I don't think it's a fair comparison with Jabba Chamberlain or any of those guys because you're not talking about moving him to a starter, back to a reliever in the middle of the season back and forth. You're talking about him coming into spring training so he has all offseason to prepare, loosen up, stretch out in spring training, compete for the starter job. If you win it, fantastic. You're a starting pitcher. If you don't, that's okay. You're going to go back to the bullpen. You can go. You can go backwards to the bullpen. It's easier to go backwards to sure. the bullpen than forwards to the starting rotation. Yeah, because you don't have to go back down to the minor leagues and stretch out and then no, you just go your out to the routine. outfield. You can go out to the outfield and start and throw fewer pitches. Yeah, just throw throw your two pitches and you're and you're good. And start having mindless conversations with uh, with yeah. the rest of the guys out there. The no, I, I agree. It's it's a much easier and cleaner transition when you're when you're a failed starter to go into the reliever duties. Um, I just I feel like his mindset is different than those guys anyway. I, I just think he's a different uh, type of dude, and I feel like he could handle that type of situation. It just doesn't look like much bothers him. And also with the um, with the depth of the Yankees bullpen, even without Chad Green, it, you don't need all your starting. I mean, the Yankees, and this is commonplace with a lot of teams. We saw it in the playoffs. Their starters go five or six innings, and then you're into the bullpen anyway. Well, and 
and, and I think that the fact that the Yankees bullpen is so deep and good right now is they have the luxury to do this. They have exactly. the, they have the ability to go out there and be, okay, let's, let's throw some shit on against the wall and see if it sticks. Because if it does, I mean, it's a huge upgrade for a number five spot. And if it doesn't, well, one, we have the guys in the bullpen, but he can slot right back into there. And it's not like we're relying on him in such a critical role where he's an eighth or ninth inning guy. Like those Which guys, is crazy. It's crazy. It is because he's so crazy. good. I mean, Chad Green with what he did last year, he would have moved into the closer role or at the very least the setup man role on ninety percent of the teams. He would have been the closer on the Houston Astros, the World Series team, if he was on their roster. Oh, dude, he would have been. He would have had. He would have had the the pick of the litter of any of those positions. It's amazing right. still how they won a World Series with that bullpen. And he's pitching. He's pitching bridge innings for the Yankees, two innings at a time. Yeah. That's how deep the Yankees bullpen is. Right. And and actually, if you look at what Girardi did, too, is they when they did throw him, uh, he never threw back to back. So he he had that. That oh, also limits his value. If you still use him that way, um, that kind of I mean, I think it limits his value next season. I know. I'm not saying I I don't like it. I didn't like it when he was doing it. I didn't like it in the middle of it. But I'm looking back now and I'm like, okay, well, that's that's a guy that is is if you're gonna throw him back into the starting role, he wasn't throwing every day anyway. So it's it's almost like a a, a slight refresh. Because yeah, you know, he he kind of knew when he was going out there. He still had the mentality of, okay, today's a throw day, today's a pitch day, I I, I might go two innings. It's, and then also you knew if he pitched the day before, it doesn't matter what's happening in this yeah. game. This game could go 50 innings. He's not getting in the ball game. Exactly. So the time frame is, is different and it's a different stress on your body because physically you're, you're maybe getting a two days off rather than five days. But it's a, a similar mentality when you know when you're throwing. Uh, Cashman also spoke to the media and this is another reason why I love Cashman. Said Ellsbury is essentially a fourth outfielder at this point. Obviously, Judge... And uh, what Judge did, he's starting right fielder. Hicks emerged last season and is the starting center fielder. Gardner is the starting left fielder. That makes the $22 million man a bench player. And um, he also acknowledged that because of this, they have four outfielders on the roster. Clint Frazier is kind of blocked. So if the Yankees don't move an outfielder, Frazier is going to start in AAA. I, I don't mind if Frazier starts in AAA, but the, the idea of him being blocked for another full season doesn't sit well with me. You know, I don't believe that. I don't believe he's blocked for a full season for a couple of reasons. One, Ellsbury is not blocking anybody. I just I just don't think that's happening. I think when when the Yankees... I still believe that the Yankees are, are at a point where they have a... Uh, they have an out plan with him. They have a resolution and it's cutting him. He's, they're going to eat the contract at some point. It's just a matter of when they do it. The because nobody's nobody's taking a trade for him unless they just eat the money. So what's the difference? You can get you're trying to get something in return, but you're going to eat a lot of money anyway, no matter well, what. Well, you 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 save a little bit more face if you eat eighty percent of the money and trade him to a team versus com- completely cut him. Or 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 you don't save face because then he's on your roster sucking and you're paying him that much and he's a drain to your roster and you're yeah, paying we, him. We all agree that's the worst case scenario. So the but the other thing is is that. Um, Hicks scares the shit out of me, honestly. Injuries. Well, that and inconsistency. I just, we haven't seen a, a long duration of him playing in the major leagues and being consistent. He's, he's, it seems like the last time, two times he's come back from injury, he started really hot and then totally faded, like really bad at bats after a couple of weeks back or even not even that long. It just seems like he's offensively has yet to find that, that consistency of being a major league player every day. I don't know if he'll find it. I'm not sure. If well, he's, it's a chicken or the egg situation. Yeah. Is it he's is he inconsistent 
um, because uh, he's inconsistent or are injuries causing his inconsistency? I think he's inconsistent because he's inconsistent. I, I think that's part. Of, I think that's a big part of it. But I think the injuries don't but, help. But if you look at his season from April through June, through his first injury, it was a two and a half months. He was very consistent. Then he had battled the injuries for the rest of the season and was inconsistent. So, but that first, but that I, first how much streak weight was do the, we want to play on? The, because the first, the first one was the first was? thing we saw about him. That was the first but time it was, we a, saw. it was a solid two and a half months where he was batting second ahead of Judge. He was a very Hicks was a very very valuable player to them. Yeah. through his injury on that West Coast road trip, no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. And and I think that's one of the narratives around him when, especially when we were doing our show, is do we believe this? Is this the real Aaron Hicks, or is the is it the guy that we saw before that was playing sporadically? Uh, that you know he's even said like I need if I have that consistent time I'm I'm better. I mean, granted, like that's a duh. Like everybody <laughs> understands if you play more. Wait, so hold on, hold on, hold on. You want to play every day? Yeah. If you play every day, you have a chance of being better. Okay, I get that. That makes sense. Um, you can get into a routine and a rhythm. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but but he's one of those guys. And and granted, you're getting a plus defender anyway. So mm-hmm. some some teams might just live with that. I mean, look at Jason Hayward. How much money did he make off of being a defender? Because he's terrible at the plate. So you can make giant money for being Cashman. a plus defender. Cashman also loves Aaron Hicks. Yeah, he does. Like really, really loves him. That's because it's his boy. Because he made a trade. He loves his his uh, his little trade guys. He brings them over. Like those are his pets. Like those are the guys I that think he brings over. Cashman has locked away in, in an office, just like a shrine to all the trades that he's fleeced teams on. Yeah, where it's just a picture of Aaron Hicks next to a picture of John Ryan Murphy. I, I mean, I, I like it. I, I want him to be that cocky. I love it. I think um, Billy Bean's in there somewhere too, and he's like peeing on him or he's throwing darts at him, doing something with Billy Bean. Billy Bean is is uh, is on the nemesis. I think I think Brian Cashman wants to destroy the legacy of Billy Bean personally. Destroy it. <laughs> it's it is also next to a picture of Shane Green next to Didi Gregorius. Yeah, another that one's that one's on top. That one's that one's laminated. Yeah, that one's a terrific one. The um, but yeah, I I think that it's uh it's an interesting to look at. But anyway, but back to Clint Frazier because uh, I freaking rambled without going back to him. I don't think he's blocked because uh, when you're looking at the inconsistencies there with Hicks, you saw what the Yankees did with four outfielders. Everybody plays. Everybody plays. So if Frazier can play left field and and maybe right field or left field and DH, like he'll still get a lot of playing time if he was if he were to be the fourth guy. And I think that fourth guy is is um is definitely going to be open. I don't see Ellsbury staying there very long. Do you see them going into spring training with uh, four, those four guys, Judge, Hicks, Gardner, Ellsbury? Into spring training or out of spring training? I think, they'll, they, will, I think they will leave spring training with uh, Clint Frazier starting in AAA. That's my gut. So, you, so those other four guys will be on the roster. They're not going to move on. They're not going to move Ellsbury or Gardner because those are the only two candidates of, of guys moving. I, I don't they're think they're gonna, moving. They're Gardner. not going to do that. They're not going to do that before the season. Starts. I don't think they're moving Gardner anymore. I just, I don't think. I think he's. I think he's. Well, it depends if if they if Cashman doesn't want to if if Cashman really thinks Clint Frazier is the future left fielder of this team, which we all hope he is. Brett Gardner isn't. Brett Gardner is the present, but the present we all love Gardner, but he's on the he's on the back nine of his career. You could actually still get something. You could get value for Gardner. It would it would I think I don't think it would be that great. Honestly, I think I think when you're getting back for a Brett Gardner at this point, he's he's just he's serving too much value on your current team. Because if you look around what the Yankees need or you look at their depth, I mean, 
there's a lot of depth on this team. There's a lot of there's not a very there's not a lot of areas that are desperate needs right now. So when you're when you're looking at that and that the impact directly on this team currently uh, taking away a Brett Gardner, I think that's too much to to handle. I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a value at all when you look at what it would do to the current team because you know what we saw from Cliff Frazier last year is again a, another inconsistent guy. He was battling injuries as well. I still think they they need they want him to show that he could be that consistent guy. But definitely the other thing about Brett Gardner is he gives you more depth in the outfield than. Um, than another one of those guys because he could play center field as well. Yep. So so you're bringing him on and he could still be there and Cliff Frazier could be in in left field and Gardner could swap around. You know he he could play some center he could play some left. So I think there's flexibility with Gardner in that sense as well. And I don't know he's just that grizzled vet that I don't think they're ready to get rid of. They've never played Frazier in center field, but he told us last last winter when we talked to him that he's most comfortable in center field. Yeah, but he hasn't played there in the Yankee organization, so I think that speaks no. volumes. Yeah. Um, you're also, if you're trading away uh, Gardner, you're losing your leadoff hitter. Yeah. You're losing, you're losing a lot when you trade Gardner at this point. I, I clubhouse, just, clubhouse leader, all that, all that kind of stuff. Heart and, I just think heart that, and hustle award winner of the year. Yeah. Well, it depends what Cashman is uh, putting the most emphasis on. Is he putting the most emphasis on still building this team for a rebuild or is he trying to win a World Series in 2018? I know you can do both. But which one is more important? Well, I mean, I think the I think the whole rebuild thing is out the window now. I think it's rebuilt. I think we're I think they're they're still going to add smaller pieces and things that and they're going to let the uh, the minor leagues kind of develop as they will. But yeah, they're but going get, for a if, championship. That's that's indisputable. They're going for a championship. Of course they are, and they can win a championship without Brett Gardner next season. Can they? But you could trade. Yes, but you could trade Brett Gardner and get a prospect back and still keep adding to that prospect depth that you could trade for a starting pitcher you could do a number of different things by by trading brett gardner so you're not getting you're not getting shit other than an empty roster spot for for trading jacoby ellsbury and i would be fine that's good that's a good if they just clear out a roster spot with with trading away ellsbury i think that's addition by subtraction but if if uh cashman is because he also has to get the sign off from steinbrenner that they can eat the money of that conversation's Elsa. already happened. You know that conversation's already happened. But they already maybe, have okay, a plan. But what if Steinbrenner has said, no, sorry, I'm not, I'm not paying another. I'm, I just paid A-Rod to go away. I'm not paying Ellsbury to go away too. I don't I don't think they're they're shy about it anymore. I, I think that they're going to save so much damn money when they get under this luxury tax threshold that eating some money on the back end of some of these contracts is not the worst thing in the world. They're going to be fine with it. It's a, it's, a, it's a debt that they can swallow because what they're doing is they're adding. Um, they're adding quality and value to the to the franchise by getting rid of a guy that's already on the books and is already a bad debt. They're writing it off. It's a bad debt. That's it. Um, I, th- I disagree with you on Gardner. I-, I think that Gardner is a pivotal role when you're looking at what this team can do in, in 2018 and then moving forward. I think that when you have such a, 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 a team of young guys, you need that that guy in in, um, on the roster that has been there, has has uh, has been with the team, can add some insight, can kind of calm things down when when things are uh, at a, at a at a stressful time. You, you saw that he has a very good relationship. He's with a lot of these guys. He's kind of the fireball on the team. He's their leader. Like that's that's a that's a big blow to send to the to a guy to a team that's ready on the on the cusp. I think that's I think you're underestimating the value of Brett Gardner as a as a player on the as a um as a teammate as well 
So he is signed for $11.5 million in 2018, which is great market value. And then he has a team option for $12.5 million in 2019 with a $2 million buyout. So, so there, that, that's see, the money is even telling me, should, should tell you even more that he's going to be on this team. The, the, it's value. It's, it's such value. Right, but the... Like I already said this, but it really it really does prove the point that if you're a team acquiring Brett Gardner, you're saying he's a cheap option or cheap uh, compared to other players of his talent are probably making 15 or 16 million bucks. So you're getting him for slightly less money than market value. Yeah, I I think when you're trading, when you're looking at a trade candidate, though, you're looking for also a team that is uh, close and they're on the they're on the verge or or, or right there or have made the playoffs and just need another guy. I feel like they're not going to be. A team that is rebuilding right now is not going to want a Brett Gardner. They're going to look for a, a, a guy that um, you know has more potential. I mean, he's a he's a we know what he is. So well, you're you're also then tr- trading Brett Gardner to a, com- a competitor theoretically. I heard that the Miami Marlins might have an open left field spot soon, and we do know that I, I like I feel like some somebody that runs their organization used to be associated with the Yankees. So maybe there's maybe there's a tie there. A Brett Gardner for a Giancarlo Stanton swap. A Brett Gardner and Jacoby Ellsbury for Giancarlo Stanton swap. Oh yeah, I'm going to call up Francesa this week and pose that trade. Is he is Francesa even there anymore? They are. Uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a beautiful Twitter trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we briefly uh, mentioned Otani. Let's get into some Otani stuff. Um, and first of all, he's got a current situation where he he can't even speak to teams right now because the Players Association is currently blocking him from speaking to MLB teams um, because so it was worked out that the ham fighters are going to receive the $20 million posting fee. But the Players Association is upset because Otani can only make four or five million bucks from a team out of their international signing pool money. And their argument is if Otani is limiting what he can make, then why are we paying the ham fighters the the $20 million posting fee that usually goes along with a Tanaka or a Dice K type player who can sign a uh, uh, free, free market free agent deal? So the Players Association doesn't want this bad precedent sent where they're, um, they're giving something to owners, the owners of the ham fighters, but they're not getting something back in return and that it would be Otani signing uh, a contract that is uh, a mega deal. Yeah, and it all goes back to the, you know, there's an agreement out there for signing international free agents, and that twenty that twenty five age limit was agreed upon. Uh, so it's going back to to what was has already been negotiated in in previous um, negotiations when we're talking about like collective bargaining and and all these things. It's it's definitely the precedent they're looking at. It like, oh shit, we can't do this because now this is setting. Okay, the the teams can get their posting fee, and the reason being is because the player wants to come over, and the owners, the MLB wants them to come over. But now he's kind of screwing everybody who wants to come over later for for this guy making a decision saying he wants to come over. Well, maybe the next guy doesn't doesn't really want to come over at that point, but the the team is able to get this giant posting fee, so they're pushing him out the door. They don't want to set that precedent, and I get it. They're gonna lose. They're gonna they're, they're <laughs> gonna put up a little bit of a fight, and they're gonna be like, oh, you know, they're just kind of like saying, I don't agree with this, you know. And I think it's gonna they'll they'll make some kind of adjustment because they're what their deadline is this this Monday, um, Monday as people are listening to the podcast, yeah, to make that uh, to make that trade or to make that decision, right? And Otani is already they're not gonna I I don't think they're going to block Otani's wishes to come to the major leagues. No, I but think they have would, to push. That back. would that's really... their job. That Tony Clark, that's his job to push mm-hmm. back. Yep. Yep. 
they yeah if it were up to them they would wish that he would just wait till he's 25 but he doesn't want to do that which is very interesting I, i'd love to get into the psyche of otani where he is passing up potentially a 150 million dollar contract or even more in just if he waits two years well what's so what's the contract if you were to sign let's say he signs um with the team right now in this offseason what's the contract is it a is it it's probably a, a, a um uh, it's well. It's four. To, it depends what the team has in international signing pool money, and it, and he's signing a minor league contract, which I don't know what the length could be. I think it's it's um, up to the team, up to six years, I believe. But I don't know if he would ever sign a six year, four point five million dollar a year contract. Right. But it might be three or four years or something like that. See, that's the thing. I, I think that that will be interesting to see is how long that contract is. What the uh, what what it looks like as far as any opt outs is it. I don't know. I think that's that's something to, to to look at because he's still. Everybody's saying he's going to be passing up this money, passing up this money. Okay, maybe he's delaying it for a year. But he, if if he can show that he's um, a major league baseball player and, and an effective pitcher slash hitter slash enigma, whatever that whatever he is, um, he can make a ton of money, even more. Right, money. But he has to prove that he does have to prove it. Yeah. So so he's it's, betting it's a on risk. Himself. He's betting on himself, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he's a cocky player or a confident player. So I'm sure he thinks he's going to come over here and be successful. Don't you kind of love that? Come, Don't you kind of love that and want him I even do more? Love th- yes, I do love that. But if he comes over and he's just an average pitcher and an average hitter, he's not getting he's not getting that mega contract in three or four years. Oh, it's a huge gamble on his end. Huge gamble. I mean, he and, knows he can play well. He knows he can dominate both offensively and pitching in the Japanese league. Yeah. So if he just stays over there for two more seasons, posts another 2.3 ERA and hits another 30 home runs, he's going to get $150 million no matter what. What if he gets hurt? What if um, what if this ankle injury is something that he's saying, okay, I had an ankle injury this year. I could have another injury bigger next year, and it could blow my chances as well for even getting over to the major leagues. Let's go now while I can, while I know I'm recovering you know, very well from this ankle, ankle injury, and I will be fully healthy so that I can put my best foot forward. Yeah, there's a ton of factors. Yeah, but it's a big gamble. There's no doubt about it. He's, he's definitely gambling on himself. Cashman said something interesting about Otani as well. He said he called him a 26th man because he's a two-way player, which gives roster flexibility, which is what we always we've been talking about all offseason. We think Cashman's going for roster flexibility, um, which means that uh, not only does this mean the Yankees would use him as a two-way player, but most teams I think would use him as a two-way player, and he's more valuable than to an AL team. Because he can pitch on his regular rest and then he can DH on the days he's not pitching. If he signs with an NL team, he would have to play a position or he would only hit one out of every five days. And then if he's playing a position which he's played the outfield in the Japanese league, you're risking injury, you're risking um, a number of different things. It's too much of a risk, I think, for an NL team. So while, yes, everyone is on a level playing field, what they can offer him as far as salary, I think it's limited to the 15 American League teams. Yeah, well, and I think it's also going to be whoever is going to almost meet his demands, for lack of a better term. I think he's going to come in with an agenda. And when he's negotiating with these teams, he's in the position of power right now because the money's not not a factor, really. I mean, you're almost throwing away the money. The money is is there. It's going to be there. But it's not significant enough where it's going to you know really sway your decision. The decision is going to be based on what this team is going to allow you to do, what they what they you know, come to the meetings, what their PowerPoint presentation says on what their plan is for you, because it's got to meet what you want to do. If it's not, if it's not lining up with what Otani thinks he wants to do, uh, whether it's, you know, pitch every five, uh, six days and, uh, and DH, or uh, maybe he wants to play right field, who knows? 
if it's not in line with what his agenda is, then you might get thrown out because he's pretty much going to dictate who he signs with because it's really not about the money. Exactly. And a lot of a lot of um, rumors that the Yankees are the leading candidate because they can offer him slightly more money because they acquired that extra signing pool money. But if you're Otani, do you really care if you're making five and a half versus five point one million dollars? Does that make a difference to you? No, but I, that's why I, that's why I don't think I still think the Yankees do have a, a very big edge. But I think it's because they're the New York Yankees. Because they're the New York Yankees, yeah. not because of the money they can. No, offer. the money's shit. The money means nothing. I, well, the, the money is money. Money is everything that drives the world. But, but when we're talking about money like this, it's like monopoly money. It's right. like four million dollars <laughs> and two million dollars is the same thing. Like you pass go, you could get that money in a shoe deal. You know what I mean? Like, right. like it doesn't matter. He's going to get marketing opportunities. The Yankees, the Dodgers, yeah. the Red Sox, the Cubs, the 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 major market teams are where he can. You could even throw Anaheim, uh, Seattle in there. Like you could get marketing deals in all these in all these places. Right. Well, you, you go to the Tampa Bay Rays, you're not you're not doing shit. Let's be honest. Come on. Nobody's going to the double race. Um, but if you're Otani, though, yeah, like we said, he's got a number of different factors of what he's looking for. Is the team competitive? All that kind of stuff. But what if he puts his agenda, like you said, I want to play. I want to pitch every sixth day. I want to hit three out of the, the four off days or three out five out of the uh, six off days or whatever it is. Because all he wants to do is set himself up for the mega contract in a couple years. He wants to just put up gaudy numbers for two or three seasons and then sign a mega deal. What if that is his number one priority? Well, honestly, if I think that's his number one priority, he's going to want to limit what he does, right? So he can focus on things to put up big numbers. Because there is no precedent on on contracts for guys who can hit and pitch. Like, that doesn't even exist. I mean, what is that? No. Bryce Harper, everybody says, is a $500 million player. I don't think Bryce Harper's touch a $500 million. But you got a guy that can pitch and also hit? What what is that guy? I mean, that's 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 stupid money, right? Well, what you if he can pitch like a, a number one pitcher and he can hit like a top, uh, you know, a, a middle of the order bat, then you're looking at fifty million dollars a year because that's what you would pay each of those players individually. It's insane, but that's the thing. Like, there's no guy that's ever done this, so the value can't be one to one. You can't say that add those two together and that's what I'm getting. It's just it just doesn't work that way when you're when you're adding, um. When, when you're looking at the contract, the money won't work. The money won't add up. the The problem is, uh, he's betting on himself so much that if, he, if I think if he does ask to do too much and requires too much, one he could he could really pigeonhole himself pigeonhole himself into being a giant pain in the ass for any team, a huge pain in the ass by being a, a little prima donna guy who says, I, "This is my this is my terms. This is what I signed for." And then what if it doesn't work out? What if it's not working out? Then then he's going away from some some of those things. There's got to be some contingency where a team has to put that up front, right? They got to be like, "Well, if you're not effective as a as a hitter through X amount of games, we're just going to have you as a pitcher." I mean, Honestly, if that's if, if I'm him and I'm not doing well in one of those situations, I would rather focus on one area of my game so that I can excel in that and then get that next contract. It's a, such an interesting topic and uh, situation because there's so many different avenues that can happen and so many different you know little spawn off uh, topics that can go uh, with his story. It's it's very interesting. Joel Sherman also wrote something this week that I found interesting. He spoke to a GM at the meetings. He didn't name what GM it was, but he said, if you sign Otani, you're going to go to a six-man rotation. And I kind of am like, why would you Why would you kowtow to Otani if, you didn't, if no teams went to a six-man rotation for any of these other Japanese pitchers? 
Why are you why are you making an, an exception for Otani? Well, I think the reason is because he's dictating what's happening right now. I, I, it's not about the money. It's about the situation. And if he's not the guy... I also was listening to a couple other... I forget where I heard. I've been just listening to um, some serious radio. And someone was saying the uh, like a, one thing that they would do with him is like Friday. Friday is Otani's day to pitch. And that's it. Whether it's, you know, whatever the rest is, Friday is his day. So that they can plan everything else around Friday being Otani's day. Like something weird like that. And that will, in essence, regulate you to a six-man rotation because it's not always going to work out. That, that you can get on a, a five-man schedule and that, you know, with off days being what they are. So, you know, things like that where I think someone's <laughs> going to have to be creative in, uh, in the way that they handle him. But again, all this stuff is going to have to be laid out for him because he's going to have to agree to it because that's going to be a determining factor of where he signs. He's also going to have to be good. He's going to have to be good. Pitching yeah. every Friday and he's just mediocre, then that's going to the the roll the rosy glasses are going to really uh, come off pretty soon if he stinks and you're you're doing all this extra stuff just to uh, accommodate to him. No, exactly. So that's why I'm. That's why I, I will be very interested to see what the uh, you know what the the fine print is in these contracts to see you know how much he's actually playing. I wonder if that's that will be some type of a stipulation or you know let's say that. Um, you know, they say you're going to be playing, you're going to be throwing, uh, I don't know, what, 150 innings a year and you'll get X amount of at-bats at DH. Well, if you don't hit certain numbers, then an opt-out is triggered. A player opt-out is triggered at some point. I don't know if there's that much flexibility in contracts when you're talking about an international free agent. I don't know. Um, but I think some of the the language in the contract is going to be very interesting depending on, you know, what the team rolls out as a plan. If he works out, um, as both a pitcher and a hitter, I think he has a chance to be the the most famous baseball player. Well, ne- worldwide. but next to Aaron Judge. <laughs> next to Aaron Judge. Yeah. Might be playing next to Aaron Judge. Might be batting right ahead of Aaron Judge. That would be awesome. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, I want him. I The value is incredible. The amount of money that it's going to take to sign this guy and uh, and what he can bring. Because like we said last show, the scouting reports about this guy from all from a lot of the top uh, top tier teams in the major league in the major leagues have put this guy basically at superstar level, like potential superstar. That's what they have him in. And if you could get that guy at who's potentially a double threat and, uh, and, and for the money that you're getting him, I mean, come on, Yankees got to right. sign this guy. Uh, yeah. Every team will offer him the deal because, because it's not a ton of money. I think some it's teams just, are shying away from it, which is interesting, but eh. whatever. Good. Uh, it, it will also be interesting, though, if the Yankees sign him or whoever signs him, how the manager handles him. And, right. and the Yankees are, are looking for a new manager. So I wonder if that's sort of in the conversations in these interviews that is going on. How would you handle a player like Otani? Yeah. Well, and I think that the thing is, is I think a lot of that stuff is almost going to be pre-negotiated. At least to there's going to be a plan, you know, whether it, the plan actually is is lived up to and he can he can actually play to that plan will be a totally different story. But yeah, I think the manager is going to have to sign off on whatever, you know, they're going in to the negotiations with. Now that I think about it, that just this thought thought just popped in my head. If Cashman was really planning on signing Otani and he was thinking Joe Girardi's binder and head will simultaneously explode <laughs> if he needs to manage Shohei Otani. Combustion will happen. I'm whether it's <laughs> him or us, it will it will drive somebody insane. Somebody just, will be at Bellevue going, staring at a wall and, uh, and, and just talking gibberish because, yeah, yeah, it'll be ridiculous. It's the unstoppable uh, object versus the immovable force. Or did I, I, I reversed that? I don't know. It's, it. it's science. <laughs> uh, 
All right, let's talk about some of the other manager candidates. Aaron Boone interviewed. I can't believe they actually interviewed Aaron Boone. Um, if you're not going to believe it, you'll be, you'll believe it when they sign him. <laughs> I, I honestly thought the fact that Aaron Boone threw his hat in the ring for Yankees manager was a joke, but I don't think it was him throwing. An I don't think it was him throwing his hat in the ring. I think Cashman. I think there were people behind the scenes reaching out to each other, talking about that. Hey, we. Uh, I'm sure he's floated his name to different teams, and and I think that uh, the Yankees, you know, were, were obviously one of those teams that reached out and said, "Hey, we'd like to interview." Like I said, I believe I said this on, on last episode, or I, I forget where I've said it. I've said it on Twitter. If it wasn't for that 2003 home run, I don't think Aaron Boone would even be on ESPN, never mind interviewing for the Yankees job. Well, that being, that being said, the guy has one of those personalities that feels like it would do well in today's baseball because he seems like he has – everybody talks about Aaron Boone as like just a good guy, fun to be around. And Ooh, Chase Headley, good guy. Aaron Boone, oh, good Chase, guy. See, Chase Headley – Future manager candidate. Oh yeah, player manager Chase Headley. Oh, potentially that. Yeah, that would, that would be that would be ridiculous. But, My head would explode. But no, Chase Headley manager in uh, 2025. Oh yeah, circle that. But Aaron Boone just he's if you're looking for a player's manager, like the way that his personality is, the the way that he's been around the game of baseball for as long as he had. I don't know. He he fits that mold. Um, if you're looking at a guy who who is into the analytics, a younger guy, energy could get uh, you know motive could be a motivational uh, factor on a team because I think that's also a big part of it. I think getting each guy to play to their ability and motivating them to that point I think is also um, high on the criteria list. I mean, he's checking those boxes. The one thing he's not checking any experience. <laughs> he uh, he was quoted my dad was in the big leagues from the time i was born to the time i was a senior in high school i've kind of lived this game certainly it's fair to question my experience uh, yeah you think and actually doing the job but i would say that in a way i've been preparing for this job for the last 44 years that's very sweet aaron boone i think if you're brian cashman looking at boone you're he's saying no matter what data I give him, the analytics I give him, Boone's going to listen to me because he doesn't know really any of that stuff. And he will just manage the players. He's a player's manager. He will have good relationships and he will communicate between the front office to the players and to the media. Um, he will be that sort of communication avenue. Yeah, I think you and I are are, are in disagreement in the, in the way that uh, I think you believe that Cashman's basically looking for a puppet. And yes, I, I don't. I, I don't, think that this manager search is proving that. No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't believe that he's looking for a puppet, but but he's looking for a guy that's more in tune with the communication style that he's looking for. One with him, and also with the players, and with the numbers. I, I think there's this guy also. He he's got to have that. I, I think we we saw what happened in the World Series this year and in the postseason. You look at what happened in um in the World Series when you got to trust the eyeballs at some point. And, right. and you have to say Dave like, Roberts ran out of pitching. Dave Roberts ran out of pitching because he went off strictly the numbers. You look at what Houston did, rolling out some of the rolling out some of those relievers and then and then also throwing out some of the starting pitchers and staying with them. When when uh when they stuck with Brad uh Peacock for that extra mm-hmm. inning, I think he went three innings at that point. Like even Peacock yep. was surprised that he was going back out there. <laughs> but you know what the, the eye test was saying like this guy is effective right now. He is yeah. he's well, one, I think that the uh, the bullpen definitely had something to do with that. The fact that there were really not very many good options. But, I mean, you're looking at what this guy did and you're saying, okay, he's right now better than everybody else. Let's keep him in the game. And if you don't have that intuition, that 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 intuition that you can just see something and then react upon it, then 
you're not going to be able to use those those numbers effectively, in my opinion. And so I think that they have to have that 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 part of it. I mean, it can't just be a puppet. It can't just be about the numbers because I think it's just too trendy right now. I, I think I don't think it's going to play long term. Uh, we'll see who he hires. I think if he hires someone like Aaron Boone, he really just wants a puppet because Boone has like he Boone's said, a personality, man. man. He's a he's a personality. He's a he strong no personality. Mani- he has no managerial, no coaching. No, nothing experience. His only experience is calling games from ESPN booth and hitting a home run against the Red Sox in 2003. That is his qualify. That is what his resume is. I, I think he will have a much bigger influence on the way that the Yankees are doing things. Um, or I'm sorry, the influence on them, what the Yankees are doing will have a, uh, a deeper impression on Boone because of the lack of experience. But at the same time, I don't think that he's going to be a puppet in the sense that Aaron Boone's just going to cower down to the wishes of the front office and just do everything that Cashman says. I, I think that his personality is too strong to do that. I don't think he, I don't think he could physically do it. I think th- that he's got a, a strong personality and he, I mean, you can, he likes to be heard. He likes to talk. He likes to, to put his opinions out there and, and do what he wants. It, that's very evident from, you know, listening to him on the, in the booth. I think that's a guy that's also going to run with what he wants to do between the lines. Another guy that is rumored um, is Hensley Bam Bam Mullins. And <laughs> I would love it, first of all, if the Yankees sign a guy named Bam Bam. I think that would be amazing. Bam Bam and Cash as, as, the, as the, the, the guys leading the charge for the Yankees. But if you're looking at a guy who is a player's manager, and you and I were sort of talking about this before we started recording – Bam Bam fits that player's manager style, but he also has a ton of experience coaching. So he's kind of a nice, uh, happy medium between maybe what the Yankees are looking for. Yeah, when you're looking at Hensley Mullins, like this guy's qualified. He actually he doesn't have the managerial experience in the major leagues, but he's got the experience of the major leagues. He's, he's been the bench coach for how long? A, a few years now, right? Uh, for the Giants, he um, he does have experience with the Yankees system. He came up through the system. He was a t- highly touted. Uh, uh, you know, prospect coming up. Um, he speaks, uh, I think six languages. This, the, the guy has, uh, he, he was the manager of the Dutch team for the world baseball classic. So he mm-hmm. actually knows Didi, knows some of those guys. He also played in Japan and he played in Japan. Maybe he could speak some Japanese then maybe there's a, yeah. a link there. Um, no, well, if you're, if you can relate to Tanaka and potentially Otani with that, that that's huge. That is huge. I mean, I think the fact that there's no language barrier between a lot of guys Speaking six languages is one impressive, and and two. It, Bam Bam is the most interesting man in baseball, right? That's a but that's a huge asset to be able to communicate in in the native language of your players. That's big. <laughs> he comes into the interview and says, "I believe you're looking for communication." Then he says that exact line in six different languages. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 a he strong... wows Cashman. He wows Cashman. He's a he's he's a regular Google Translate. Is Bam Bam Mulins? Yeah, I, I like it. I, I think that's I, I think that you lose. Um, I think the interpreter is not happy about that, but the fact well, that they can save some money there. They don't have to pay the interpreter. Yeah. He's, uh, he's you know, big clubhouse guy right there, but um, they uh, that's, that's big for the communication. No, there's, there's not much lost in translation when you can speak the language of your players. I think bam, bam. I think we've talked my, uh, I've at least talked myself into being uh, wanting bam, bam as the manager. He's my favorite right now. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look up and down as far as qualifications and, uh, the way that I, I just don't know much about his personality. I, you know, I, he's different now than he was a player. Obviously, I don't know what kind of a personality he is. Um, you look at the resume and you look at everything about him. He definitely cer- certainly looks qualified. If you're looking at like age wise, like I think he fits that gap of what people think that they're looking for of a younger guy. What is he? 50. Mm-hmm. He's, he's gotta be around 50. And so I, I think that when you're looking at that, 
he's almost he's almost the, the player's manager that you're looking for, but has experience. Um, yeah, he's exactly 50 years old. I'm imagining him to be a 50 year old Didi. Yeah, well, why? Because he's from Curacao, or he's from the. He's from, yes, <laughs> that's that's Shocking. how my that's how my idiot brain works. Okay, well, I see where you went there, uh, and I see how you could get there. I I feel like Aaron Boone is the shiny object, and Aaron Boone is the guy that I just think it's too much of a risk. Yeah, it's too much of a risk. You're, you, this team can win a World Series next year. I don't want to bring in a guy who has no managerial experience. You need some. You need some coaching experience to manage at any level, oh, yeah? especially the New York Yankees. Did Dave Roberts need experience? Cause, yes, cause, clearly he did because he ran out of pitching in a World Series well, game. He got to the World Series. The point is that these guys, in today's game, when the... the Wait, hold on. Didn't Dave Roberts... Sorry to interrupt you. Didn't Dave Roberts have a previous coaching experience? I don't know. He, that he may have. I was just throwing that out there because he came from the booth directly. He may have been in the um, on, a, on a bench somewhere. But I, I don't know. I just think that with today's age, with the, with the way that the numbers are, like there's a lot more leeway for a guy with less experience. There's there's just a lot more because some of the so many of the decisions are made based on the numbers that you're just at that point now going between the lines and and working off of your baseball intuition. And I think Aaron Boone does have that. I think he's spent enough time in a clubhouse. And as an anal, uh, as an analyst, I think it also helps by obviously looking at the game from a different view and analyzing what all these other guys have done, I think that can show as good experience as well. Um, Dave Roberts coached, uh, it was in the coaching system with the Padres and then the Cubs before being the manager. The coaching system? Yeah, he was the first base coach for the Padres. Okay. And then... What does the first base coach uh, do, honestly? He, they, they, I don't uh, know, they it's slap, something. They slap an ass and they take batting gloves. And they all say, I know and is they say, it's, more experience. it's more experience than uh, Aaron Boone doing fake... Um, Fake impressions of of batting stances on ESPN every Sunday. Ooh, that's a lot of studying, though. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of dedication to to master those uh, batting stances. A lot of shows uh, that how, he's a hard worker. Well, how about Carlos Beltran? You think Carlos Beltran is going to come from playing twenty years, making over two hundred and twenty million dollars, and go directly to managing the New York Yankees? I mean, he said he would. He said he he said it's he said if the Yankees came calling that he would do it. Yeah. Why would he want to do that? I mean, I I don't. Maybe he wants to manage, but why would you want to manage immediately? I feel like it just take a year off. I know. Just won the World Series. You just spent twenty years in the major leagues, not to mention all the countless years coming up through the minor league system. You've made two hundred and twenty million dollars playing baseball. Go sit on a beach for a year and then see if you want to manage. Uh, that was exactly that was what uh, what brought me back to writing last week. <laughs> I'm looking at it, I'm like, I'm like, come on, man, let's 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 think about this for a minute. Don't jump into this. Don't jump into this. Like I, I see that beard. You look older than you are. You're not that old. Go drink a beer. Relax. Hang out with your wife. Don't don't go into being the Yankees manager right now. You don't need that. I think Beltran just can't resist the pinstripes. I think he just loves the Yankees so much that any chance he can get to get back into a Yankee uniform, he might take. Well, I also think that I think that's part of it. But I also think that retirement is a scary proposition for a lot of players because when you look at these guys they've played baseball their entire life they've been in the clubhouse and the dugout their entire life they've been around baseball guys forever the fact of of i am now retired leaving the game now what do i do where who am i where's my identity like that all they know is baseball so i think that's a, a scary proposition for them thinking about what they would do outside it. I think some guys will relish it and, and enjoy, like, look with Jeter, you know, taking some time off just, like, being Jeter. 
But I think some guys are like, this is all I know, and this is what I want to do for my entire life is just be around baseball. It's right. just that physically I can't do it anymore. That's why a lot of them get into the broadcasting, which is yeah. way less of a time commitment. It is. It is. It's uh, I don't think Beltran's going to be doing that, though. I can't see him in the booth. I could see him as a, a guy that would – I think he would be a very good um, manager slash coach in major leagues. I just don't think you need to do it yet. Just wait. It's amazing, though, because this this never happened to players of any sort of belt, not even talking about Beltran's level. I mean, Beltran was a superstar for a little while, but anybody uh, who was a, a regular player in the major leagues didn't go directly into managing because they had to have experience first. Right. Teams in the 90s, 80s, or whatever it was required a lot of years of managerial experience before you could actually manage at the major league level. Now they're just coming off the street, coming right from from right field and going and putting the manager hat on. That can happen now. Well, that, so I think it's a lot more numbers. tempting. Yeah. Carlos Beltran is not going to go manage in double-A. That's not going to happen. Right. But he might go manage in the major leagues. That's right. And I think you're right. The barrier for entry now for being a major league manager is a lot smaller. It's a lot, it's a lot less... Time intensive. You don't have to ride the bus anymore. You can go straight to the bigs. That's that's exactly right. Because back in the day, you're 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 hiring a, a, a retread. You're hiring some other guy who managed and got fired somewhere else, and he's going to come in and bring a different different dynamic, and his system will work in your clubhouse. Because why not? Because it's different, and mm-hmm. he's a guy who has baseball ex- managerial experience, and that was that was the only thing that was you know you had to work your butt off and, and put in those uh, the long resume in order to even get called upon, and now. Because of the numbers, I think, and because of the, the today's game, it's a totally different story. And, and it's, it's right. proven to be effective, too. Absolutely. Final topic, we're going to talk a little bit about the Yankees 40-man roster. But before we do that, I just want to remind people to submit mailbag questions. That address is bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. It's really important that you guys submit mailbag questions or tweet us with what you guys want to hear us talk about. A big part of these off-season shows is going to be answering the, the podcast mailbag, mailbag questions and responding to tweets. So tweet us at Yankees Podcast, at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and at Scott Reinen. I did something this week on the Yankees Podcast Twitter account where I tweeted out the topics, and a lot of people responded, and I actually added a few of those responses into our topics list, so that was really fun. Um, also, make sure to rate and review us uh, in iTunes. And then if this is your first time listening to the show, maybe it is, make sure to hit that subscribe button. So the the 40-man roster deadline is also on Monday, 8 p.m. The Yankees or any team needs to announce what players are on the 40-man roster, which will block them from the December Rule 5 draft. Yeah, it's a big day for for the Yankees, actually, because there are so many. They've acquired so much talent in the minor leagues that they they stand to lose, you know, a good uh, quality guys uh, on their on their roster. So it'll be very interesting to see how they manage this. And you know when you look in the you look back in back in time you, this is a this is one of those times and a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, beat reporters and national baseball guys are basically predicting you know a move at some point in the next day today or tomorrow um, for Brian Cashman because he's going to have to move some guys in order to save value because you can't protect everybody and there are guys of value who they would lose in a Rule Five draft. And that was one of the reasons why the jerks and Profar trade rumors sort of surfaced with the Yankees. For the, like the fourth, time, fourth year in a row. Well, think about what they were – wasn't Profar the guy they might have been getting back for Andrew Miller when we thought Miller was going to the Rangers? I think it was a Profar and uh, 
uh, there was a couple other guys in that deal, but yeah, he was he was part of it. Or maybe it was Joey. Was it, it was Joey, Joey Gallo. Gallo? It was Joey Gallo. Yeah. yeah. But Profar has been in a lot of trade rumors. Oh, he surfaced. I think he's been linked to the Yankees at, at least for the past two years. I, I what think is Profar? Twenty four at this point. Yeah, he's in his mid twenties. He's and so he he has not lived up to the prospect hype, and the Rangers are also in a forty man roster crunch where they they might need to add him just to block him, but he hasn't really lived up to expectations. And I believe he's also out of minor league options for them. So uh, there might be a situation where Cashman can buy low on him, give the Rangers two or three of the fringe 40-man roster players the Yankees are trading, and then just get one back so you could have that roster flexibility. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I just don't think – I think people are looking at Jerickson Profar and um, – I just don't see the, the Rangers getting back the value for for what this guy could be. I mean, yeah, he hasn't he hasn't put up the numbers that they thought. I, I think he spent majority of the time in minor leagues in 2017. If I'm not wrong, he did. He he got sent down due to injury, and then I don't think he ever got called back up. Yeah, so he's not the guy that they thought he was. Obviously, I mean, they they obviously. I feel like that tells you a lot is that he was in the minor leagues. Uh, for that, for that, uh, for the majority of the time after he came back from injury, I don't know. Yeah, he's uh, 24 years old and only played 22 games at the major league level this season. So maybe they, maybe they have gone past him in the way that they think about him. That could be, um, but we'll see. Cashman's they definitely going to have to move some, move some, uh, move some guys around though. And infield is not really a position of need for the Yankees. Obviously, they have the the infielders at the major league level, and then Torres is coming up not to mention Tyler Wade and these other sort of um, depth infielders. But um, another rumor is that the Yankees might try and offload Castro if they get a guy like Profar. And I know also um, Joe Panic has been rumored as well from the Giants. So the Yankees might be also looking to trade away Castro, get his money off the books. Yeah, and I think some of the numbers that they were talking, or some of the guys that, um, was it Sherman who had that? That article about the he had the uh, pro he had the profile yeah. uh, one he was talking about players like Luis Sessa Brian Mitchell uh, Tyler Austin those types of guys that would be in a deal like that or that those are because those are all fringe guys if you're looking well at, they're current forty man roster guys but they're guys that I mean let's face it the Yankees those are a dime a dozen in the Yankees organization right now I think Sessa's a guy that still has some potential I think they still think that he can be an effective player. Um, but yeah, Brian Mitchell, I mean, he's pretty much run his course at this point, hasn't he? I mean, we've seen what he's done, it seems like, in every capacity. Uh, starting pitcher, reliever, we've seen what I he's done. I still feel bad over his turf toe. I feel like that was his opportunity. Yeah, well, don't get turf toe, you know? Be tougher. Be stronger than that. Be better than that. The um, Brian, and then Tyler Austin, I mean, he can't stay on the field. So I don't know where they see Tyler Austin uh, as a... as a, he, You can't rely on him to be a backup first baseman because he can't stay healthy. Right. Any, but he's he's the type of guy where a team he has low value to the Yankees. But if you're trading him to to the Rangers for jerks and Profar, it's sort of like yeah, I'm going to take your problem for you to take my problem. Yeah, and and that's exactly the type of thing I could see I could see happening. So we'll see. Uh, but there there is a lot of clog in the middle middle infield. But you can't have too many. Uh, I think a lot of the thing the other thing about when you have a middle infielder, like to me, those guys have more flexibility as far as where they can play. Because they're usually the best athletes. Uh, usually, right. your your middle infielders, center fielders, are your better athletes on the team and can be a little bit more flexible. Well, didn't the Rangers experiment with Profar in the outfield too? I think they did. Yeah, I think they may have. Uh, he's a, he's a guy that I think because they're trying to look for a spot for him. Yeah, they're just trying to figure something out. For yeah, him. I think that's similar to what um, you know a lot of teams do and and what the Yankees were doing with Jorge Mateo. They were trying to find a spot for this guy. 
Yeah, and don't worry about trading for profile and saying, well, where are the Yankees going to play him? Just if you require talent, yeah. um, if you're when you're acquiring talent, I don't care. Exactly. If it's talent, you can do something with talent. Especially when you're offloading guys of the, the caliber that we just talked about. I mean, it's like, what are you really missing? Not much. Right, right. Cool. So la- <laughs> we, we said it's, a, it's the offseason, but we just did like an hour and 20 minutes because there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. I think Monday's a big day, actually, with, with Otani. You know, the, finally we get a, a definitive resolution to what the hell he's going to be doing. Uh, as far as, like, coming here or not coming here, there's still the whole drama of him interviewing with teams and finding out. I'm sure there'll be rumors about what his negotiations are and what his demands are. I'm sure he'll be cast as a prima donna in the media at some point. You know, he'll be on the hate list for a lot of teams, at least a lot of fans. And uh, we'll see. And then the 40 man, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see who's protected. So again, guys, reminder to submit those mailbag questions. We have a couple already in, but because there was a lot of topics to talk about, I think we're going to save them all for next week. So submit those mailbag questions, and hopefully we'll have a big mailbag to run through next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk to you next week. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.